What's up, guys? This is PC, and this is your backstage pass to the Green Room Podcast Series. Hey, guys, this is PC in the Green Room Podcast Series. Our guest today is none other than Dr. Frank Rudneski, retired principal, Jocelyn Renaissance Hall of Famer, author, and one of my favorite people on the planet. Frank, how you doing, brother? Dude, I'm doing awesome, man, and thanks for that intro. I yeah, man. That. Yeah, we appreciate you being on here, man. Today, I'm super excited. I know you're going to share some unbelievable insights, and, and it's just going to be super valuable to the listeners out there. And so, you've had an unbelievable career in education, but education wasn't your first career choice. So, talk a little bit about your career path and how you got to where you are here today. Well, I mean, I'll try to give you the shortened version because otherwise, it would suck up all the time of the podcast. But uh, you know, the town I the town I grew up in. Uh, was kind of uh, becoming depressed. It was a great place to grow up. Uh, they had a lot of lakes, a lot of places to fish. Uh, I, I played basketball, so there were, there were lots of places to do that. Uh, but as far as like industry jobs, et cetera, uh, wasn't that great. I mean, at one time, I thought I was going to be a banker because I worked at a bank in high school. Out of uh, when I graduated from high school, uh, this guy I know from my elementary school came into the bank and he said, hey, my dad will pay you a quarter more an hour if you come work for the dairy. And I'm like, giddy up, let's do it. You know, so uh, that's what I did. And uh, he came up to me one day and said, if you take any classes at the community college, uh, I'll reimburse you for them. So I said, that's, that's awesome. So that's what I did. Started taking classes in business and uh, decided that uh, the town was becoming a little bit more uh, th- than I needed in, in my life. So I uh, decided to opt for a better challenge and transfer to the University of San Francisco, 3,010 miles away. So that was kind of a leap of faith, uh, but uh, it was a Jesuit school, still is, and they gave me the most money. Scholarships, basically, I was going to school for free in what I thought to be a prestigious uh, university. So um, when I went out there, I went to the office for a job, the, the placement office, and there were two available, elevator operator and work at a magic shop, no experience necessary. So, I mean, I didn't have this vision of going up 27 floors, down 27 floors all day. Uh, went down to the magic shop, no experience necessary. And it was the funnest job I've ever had. You know, fun to uh, the point where um, when I learned enough magic, I started performing out on the street. Uh, to make extra money to help support myself in, in, in San Francisco as a student. So that's what I did and followed that passion when I got home to New Jersey and opened up a magic shop on the Wildwood Boardwalk. And that's what I did for three years. And while I was doing that, I was performing magic all over the place. For instance, uh, Donald Trump's yacht. Yes, that Donald Trump. And, um, the magic shop was closed in the winter because they shut my water off on October 1st. So that's when I started to substitute teach. And uh, this guy comes up to me one day, he looked like a, a cartoon character named Stanley Kleist and slowly walks up to me. He said, you know, you should be a teacher. Turned around and walked away. So I'm like, what? That's it. That's the conversation. But he saw something I guess that 
was um, kind of like connected me to the kids. And, and we all know that we've talked about it over and over and over again about building relationships and making connections, how that is what teachers should do. And those teachers that don't do it aren't as successful as, the, as those of us that do do it. So uh, pursued it and uh, went and got certified to teach uh, high school business. That was my shortest route to certification. And at the time, I was the only applicant that had a computer class. This was uh, 1986, and that's probably before you were born. And uh, they pointed the finger at me and said, you are going to run our new computer lab. I'm like, yes, I am, whatever that meant. Uh, but, but, but early on in the classroom, I mean, and I taught some boring curriculum in the beginning, some of it, not the computer classes. That was fun because it was, it was on the cusp of technology integration before they had Apple classrooms of tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera. And there was, wasn't any research out there, but my visual research was telling me that that engaged kids in, in, in a different way, uh, especially different types of learners. So um, th that's what I did and eventually uh, got into administration. That's so cool, man, especially the part about the magic and how you use that in education and how you're still using that today. And so, like, were there any like famous magicians that you would say that had a big influence on your magicianal career, if you will? One thing I did, I was, I was infatuated. I started reading about Houdini. So in 1985, right before, you know, I got into, into my first full-time teaching job, I was chained up, handcuffed, nailed in a box, and thrown in a river. Uh, and that was kind of exciting. And yes, I did get out. That's the number one question. Did, did, did you get out? Well, yeah. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Oh, man. I would, yeah, you're a whole lot, yeah, you're a whole lot braver than I am. There's no way in the world I would ever do that. <laughs> well, it, it, took me, it took me about a year to train and, and research, research it. So Sure. Yeah, it was cool. I can't even imagine. And so um, a lot of teachers and, and really just people in general often question their ability to lead and to manage people. How did you know that as a teacher that you wanted to get into administration and to be a principal? You know what, I guess um, the reason I became a teacher and, you know, that was my calling, that was my voice, that's what my first grade teacher told me that, that, that I would find, you know, my vocation. But uh, I always wanted to be the kind of teacher that I wanted as a student. And when I, I was looking towards administration, I always, I, I made a conscious uh, decision that I was going to be the kind of principal that the teachers wanted, that the kids wanted, uh, that the parents wanted. And uh, so that's, that's how I approached it. And some of uh, my methods aren't, uh, I, I would say, traditional at, at the least, but that's okay. Um, I always say manage yourself, lead people. And if you're trying to manage, to, to, and those are the people you have around you, then you need to spend time with those people, teaching them the power of leadership and what leadership is and empowerment. And, hey, guess what? I know that. If you only have one leader in any organization, it's not going to be successful in the long term because it turns into some type of self-servant leadership rather than servant leadership, which is the type of leadership that we, we try to pass on to each other and we display for each other and we support each other. And, and that's why we uh, spend so much time doing it, like relationship building and research and talking to people and talking to that one person that you've never spoken to before. You know, that's always a, a, a goal or one, one of my goals. I love it, man. That's awesome, especially the part about having multiple leaders in your building. I think 
that's something that often gets overlooked, but it's so important is that, yeah, as the leader, as the principal of the school, we're also trying to develop leaders, not only in our kids, but in our staff members as well. Yes, yes. And, and some, you know, and I tell every teacher, once you cross that threshold, you're a leader. And if you don't view yourself like that, then you need to come in my office so we could start your training. And I would give little bites of everything we did at our staffly meetings were uh, geared towards uh, some component of little bites of leadership, inspiration, uh, better teaching. And, and if, if you, and I'm sure we'll get into climate and culture, but ha happy people outperform unhappy people. And they'll go that extra mile that uh, if you respect them and appreciate them, that, that other people just won't do. That's exactly right, man. I love it. Great stuff. So a brand new teacher, maybe just graduated from college or, or a teacher that's relocated to your area that doesn't have connections established in, in your school system, what advice can you give them in terms of how to get an interview for a position at your school? Well, for, uh, first of all, the, the resume, I mean, that's the contact, the first contact that most people see. So that's got to be uh, not only up to date, but you have to make sure that um, it, you, you qualify for the job. I mean, there are certain areas in our state, for instance, uh, uh, you know, a second language or um, math and science, they're, they're in higher demand uh, than some of the other areas, special ed. Uh, but you need to make sure that if you're in a stack of resumes, that, that your resume qualifies. Uh, the second thing you need to make sure is that you've researched the school or the district because you may have to um, kind of make your resume unique and geared towards the needs or the direction of that school. And, uh, you know, once if you know anybody, it, don't feel uh, like you shouldn't contact those people <laughs> because you, you, you'd be surprised uh, how many people uh, can get interviews by knowing a secretary, a custodian, or, or, or anyone else, you know. And once you get your foot in the door, once you get that interview, um, then that's a different level that you can practice. For sure, man. It's all about who you know. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes not so much yeah. what you know, right? You yeah, know? sometimes. But, but then uh, once you're in that interview, um, if I have a, a table of qualified applicants, the number one, the number one um, attribute that I look for is passion. And you can't, because you can't, you can't learn it in a book, you can't teach it, you can pass it on to somebody through inspiration, but you can't, uh, you can't get, pick it up out of a drawer and say, all right, today I'm going to be passionate about what I want to do the rest of my life. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And that's a message I try to send to my daughters as well, is, you know, pick a career that you're passionate about and, the, you know, the money will come. If it doesn't, you can just live with us the rest of your life. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh, man, you're exactly right, though, with the passion piece. That's, that's spot on. And so as a new educator, um, whether, whether it's your first year teaching or maybe even your first year in a new school or a new district, those first couple of years can be really tough. And so what advice and resources do you give to your new teachers to help them be successful? Well, one, the main thing is, I mean, as an, on the administrator side is we try not to isolate, you know, any teacher at all, you know, especially a new one. But sometimes uh, new teachers are afraid to ask questions because they feel like that would make them sound uh, le less intelligent or less qualified. But you need to find yourself a set of buddies. And if the, it's set up right in that school by the administration, then that it won't be hard to do. 
And, but if it's not, uh, then you need to ask the person next to you. You need to ask the person across the hall, down the hall, in the lunchroom, until you connect with somebody that can uh, kind of show you the way. That's extremely, extremely important because uh, everything's going to take longer in the beginning. You know, and I used to tell people sometimes uh, when I was a teacher, um, I'd have I one year I taught six classes of the same thing, you know, one prep. But those kids in the sixth class had the best lesson because I just practiced it five times. Exactly. And, uh, you know, so you can't be afraid to to practice. And th that's, you know, sometimes what it takes, even though your kids will be different from section to section. Uh, you know, great teaching is great teaching. And if you're engaging, then you're not going to have any discipline problems. Uh, you know, once in a while, here and there, possibly. But kids that are engaged and excited to learn and think that you appreciate them, what's their perception of you? You know, I always tell teachers, would you want you teaching you? Go to the back of your classroom. Would you want you as a teacher? Would you want you as a principal? And, you know, if the answer is yes, then, hey, you're on the right road. If the answer is, I, I don't know about that, then you better rethink and relook and get the resources that you need to become a, a master teacher. That doesn't happen overnight. You're exactly right, man. I love it. It's awesome stuff, man. So you're heavily involved with Jocelyn's Renaissance, and you've been inducted into the Jocelyn's Renaissance Hall of Fame. Share a little bit about how you got involved with Renaissance and the impact it's made on both you and on your school. Well, first of all, it was, it's, 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 it's common sense. Um, and, and, and the first, if you try to explain it to anybody, when we first started doing it, it would take me an hour. Uh, but I used to say, we're creating a place where everyone wants to be. Now, does anybody have a problem with that? You know, it's, it, it's an attitude. And, you know, Justin's a, a few years ago started marketing it as climate and culture, which is what we always considered it. You know, so I, I, I love those two words when you're trying uh, to describe it. So how did I get into it? It was, it was uh, 1999, 98-99 school year. I was a vice principal at a high school. And my job basically was to uh, go around chasing the kids doing the wrong thing. And you're not going to wear on you quickly. Um, but I, I still tried to do, you know, have new teacher groups and, and call and make the connections with the kids that were doing the right thing because that was just always common sense to me. Why are you only talking to the kids doing the wrong thing? You know, how about spending some time with some kids doing the right thing? The first time I called in uh, a, a high school junior, she had just gotten a perfect score on the SATs. So I'm like, wow, I don't know if I've ever met anybody that had done that. So I called her to my office and she, she was like shaking. She was shaking. She was almost in tears. And she said, why, 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 why am I here? And I'm anticipating that the only reason she would be called to a vice principal's office is she did something wrong. So I'm like, man, there's something wrong with that. And I said, I'm here to congratulate you. You just got a perfect score in your SATs. Wow, that's awesome. And it just like changed her whole perception of the principal's office. Now, fast forward a couple months later, this guy came to our school, Frank Palatucci, and uh, we weren't sure what he was talking about, but it was Johnson's Renaissance. And um, somebody said, yeah, this guy's going to talk to us about making our school better or funner or something. I don't know how they put it. Well, I'm literally on my way to the auditorium. It was a half day in service. I get called to the office over the loudspeaker and it couldn't have been good. I'm anticipating, and it wasn't. And I was literally tied up with a discipline problem that happened after the kids left for the next two hours. And I'm running down to the auditorium, and they're, everybody's coming out. I almost get hit with the door, and I'm just getting there. 
So there, everyone's saying, man, you should have really heard this. Yeah, no kidding. But I was tied up. I was chasing the kids doing the wrong thing. So I immediately got that this was going to play into how come some people want to be at work and how come some people don't? How come some people want to, want to be at school and others don't? So I embraced it immediately. And the, the very next year, I got uh, my, my job as principal. And immediately, the first faculty meeting, I laid it out there and asked anybody wants to stay after and talk about it. And I literally had half the people that stayed after the, after the meeting to talk about we're going to create a place where everyone wants to be because it, it, it makes sense. You know, it's common sense. I love it, dude. And so along those same lines, there's a feeling when you walk into your school that just says, you know, we get it. We know it's about kids and we love kids and we're going to do what's best for our kids every single day. And so how did you go about creating that feeling in your school? And then also, how did you maintain that feeling? Because that's a big challenge as well. It was, uh, well, I mean, one thing is uh, you have to gather all stakeholders, I mean, even 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 the senior citizens that may live in your community but pay but pay uh, uh, you know a percentage of the taxes, find some way, some some way some reason to invite them in. And my secretary, one of my secretaries, used to always tell me, uh, "This guy's here. Uh, he graduated in 1947. He wants to tour the school. Um, do you got time to talk to him?" I don't care what I was doing, unless I was. At, not in the office, absolutely, positively, do I want to brag about our school. But getting back to how we had that feel when you first came in, it was, uh, when when Renaissance was first introduced to me, um, one of the things that people talked about was a lot of things in sports are done right, but they're geared to one population, and that's the athlete. Not even the student athlete, but just the athlete. So when you walk into a school, what do you see? You see trophies, sports trophies. Uh, what happens on Friday night? Well, towns close down because there's a football game, you know. All the kids are wearing their jerseys, right, as, as much as they can, their varsity jackets. So if we could shift that, what's wrong with sports? Nothing. What's wrong with that collegiality? Nothing. What's wrong with the teamwork? Nothing. But Let's do the same and find a niche for every student in this school, all right? Whether it's leadership, whether it's good character, whether it's, uh, you know, being smart. I mean, I had one kid, John, what he was very, very good at was coming to school every day. So when I gave him a Renaissance shirt for coming to school every day, I don't know if he took it off for a week. You know, and, and I mean, that's what we're looking for, connections. So when we would go around and see different things, for instance, uh, we started retiring a Renaissance shirt and hanging it on our wall. And that was kind of, uh, you know, we want people to ask. You know, we want students to come back and say, look, that's when I was in school for Project Rocky, Project Superhero. You know, there's no place like home. I remember those, you know, my favorite pep rally. And uh, we also started, uh, well, how can... We want kids to leave a positive message, a positive legacy. So when we went down to the Holocaust Museum, we saw these tiles of kids that uh, were sent from all over the world. They called it, the, uh, I believe it's called the Child's or Children's Wall of Remembrance. Well, we switched it up to the Renaissance Wall of Acceptance for every eighth grader, that school went up to eighth grade, to leave a message of peace, hope, love, and acceptance. 
and the kids just took off with it, man. I mean, you can't imagine the number of kids that come back to find their tiles because as the wall gets bigger and bigger, it's harder and harder. I had a homeless man uh, come from the rescue mission uh, to pick up some uh, goods that we collected, and he was there for an hour and read, at the time, every one of the tiles. I mean, and wow, <laughs> that that's working. <laughs> so uh, we want, you know, we wanted to it to explode, and the deeper you go into school, keep exploding, keep exploding. And if people are asking questions, hey, what's that? I don't mind taking the rest of my day to explain it to them, you know, because that promotes the great things happening in our school. You have some, some bad things happening in your school. You don't have to promote that. It's already promoted for you. So, you know, when you have people that enter the noblest profession in the world and they never get thanked, there, there, there's something wrong with that. You know, so let's let's shift. Let's shift perception. Let's upturn uh, what's going on. No doubt so, about it, man. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that was one of my goals. I love it, man. It's like it's just so powerful, and I just love listening to that story. Like that's just that's awesome stuff, man. And so obviously, you know, just from listening to what you've just shared just now, and, and knowing you the way that I do, I mean, like you're a rock star. You're a rock star educator, rock star administrator, and when you serve in that rock star role and you run a top-notch school like you did for so long, it takes a ton of your time and your energy. How do you maintain the work-life balance between your job as a principal and your role as a husband and father to your beautiful family? Well, there are a lot of parts to that question. Okay, but first, uh, you know, I appreciate, again, your kind words, but imagine if every teacher was treated like a rock star. Imagine that, you know, and, and Josh's Renaissance has put me and you and the rest of us in contact with all these rock stars, you, your wife, Steve Bowler, Steve Wolf. Uh, you know, Michael Wolf, uh, Charlie Nelson before him, uh, you know, all, all these people, you know, Parkhouse, Larry Biddle, all these people that you never would have met. They never would have been in your life. And when you see their perspective and they validate, you know, sometimes you go home and lay your head in the pillow and like, well, what was it worth it? You know, so I started keeping this this file called the great news file every year with every thank you letter, every positive email, every positive newspaper clipping. And um, it, it kind of, yeah, yeah, it, it is worth it. This is what I was meant to do. But how do you balance? Well, balance, well, yeah, sometimes it's not easy. But balance is a key. That's a key. It's another key to leadership is not just balancing you. First, you got to balance you, body, mind, heart, spirit. And if that's not balanced in the short term, you can be successful. In the long term, there's no way you're going to be successful. So, you, you got to take care of you first. Now, after you do that, um, when it was, um, when my kids were younger, it was, it, it was easier in the respect that I could take them to every one of these events. And they were like, wow, daddy, I want, to, I want my school to be like that. And that was like a high level of praise when your kids want to go to the school where you work. Uh, but um, one thing we did in the beginning of every school year was whatever our theme was, uh, at our school, for instance, uh, one year it was uh, The Force Awakens, and I don't know whether you realize it, but then they made a major motion picture about our theme. So that was kind of cool, you know, to replicate that for, for uh, Disney Studios. But in the beginning of the year, we hand out something obnoxious. And that year it was, uh, we handed out plastic lightsabers. And on 
I ask everyone to do it while they're there in front of me at our first meeting of the year after we do our team building and our uh, field trip. Uh, you need to write at least one goal for home and at least one goal for school, for work. And if your goal for school is more important than your goal at home, then you, you, you don't get the message. You know, you're not getting the message of, um, you know, you, you, you're not going to be at every event, uh, but you'll be at some of the events. But if your kid has an event at the same time, you go to your kid's event at home. And sometimes, like uh, when my daughters uh, were participating in different things, I would like, um, I, boom, I would jam. I was 27 miles away. So there's a quick route, the Atlantic City Expressway, and it would be no holds barred. Man, I would get to that event. And sometimes I'd have to come back, you know, to my, my workplace. But I wasn't going to miss an event. You know, it just wasn't going to happen. And I remember one time, it was funny, it was uh, some boy uh, that we had this auction to raise money, our education foundation. And every year was uh, principal for the day. And this one boy, um, one principal for the day, and he wanted to do it on a certain day. And I knew my daughter my, had, had a softball game. So I'm like, I called his mom. I said, look. Jack's going to hang out with me all day, but we're going to my daughter's softball game. Do I have your permission <laughs> to take him? <laughs> and, and boom, we, I took, uh, you know, he went to a, a softball game and then out to my, uh, out to dinner with my family. And, you know, that's the, this is, this is what I do, Jack. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like uh, some kids, uh, some, especially your students, they don't think you're human. You know, they either think you're subhuman or like you don't go, you don't leave. And when you leave, you go put in a pod and then just wake up the next day out of this pod to come be the principal or the teacher. And the first time they see you at the mall or, or at a game or somewhere, you know, away, like an hour away, it's, it's, uh, it, it's mind boggling. But also, that's a connection. <laughs> that's a connection. Exactly. So. That's so funny that you say that because you're exactly right. You know, you're at the grocery store or whatever and they see you and it's just like, it's almost like you're an alien or something, you know, like you're supposed to be right. in your classroom and like studying or doing whatever it is that teachers do. So, right, exactly. That's so whatever. funny. Um, be epic, never ordinary. That's your mantra and I absolutely love it. So, explain like, how did you adopt that? How'd you come up with that? And like, what does it mean? Explain that for our listeners. Well, I mean, epic is, uh, you know, I, I use epic as, uh, you know, a verb, a noun, <laughs> a d d d different thing, different ways. But uh, uh, your epic is, is, is your passion. And there is no, I mean, as you get older, like time goes in a, in a click of a finger, man. It's, it, it goes too quickly. And there's no time to do things half crocked. So if you're not giving everything to it, then that's not your epic. Your epic is somewhere else. So you, you don't have time for mediocrity, uh, you know, or, or if, if you're going to do something to, if you're shooting for a C, you know what, you're going to get it every time. But I, I've seen kids, I've seen adults as well that were born with intelligence, born with money, born with talent, and they do just enough, you know, they do just enough to get an A, just enough to get to uh you know, college of their choice, just enough, just enough, just enough. What if they, you know, found their epic and, and they gave as much as that kid with less talent, less money, less intelligence to get where they are, then, hey, hey guess what? We, um, our school systems would be the best in the world. 
you know, but they're not because it's not a priority. You know, people are more worried about getting their trash and the recyclables picked up uh, than they are uh, about having the best school with the best teachers. You know, every time a teacher's contract comes up, I mean, you hear about it. It's all over. That's news. It's in the newspaper. But, uh, you know, when a, a, a contract comes up for uh, some of these other areas, nah, they that never comes up because the government will bail them out, you know, and they could be billion-dollar companies again. So we as educators don't get the respect we need. But your epic is your vocation. It's what you're meant to do. It's where you find that wow factor. And if you're doing something, no matter what it is, make it your epic. So cool, dude. Yeah, and we actually put that. I sent you the picture. We painted that yeah, on, on the wall in our school. And like, yeah, humbled and honored for that. Thank you. I love it. So That's cool. cool. It's cool to see. And so here just recently, you had the second edition of your book, 50 Great Things Leaders Do. That was published. It uh, looks amazing. Tell the listeners what they can expect when they pick up a copy and how the book came to be in the first place. Well, um, there, there was, a, there was an, an earlier book um, by the same title, the first edition, and... I just started accumulating all, all, all these stories and getting all these emails. And we were in Minneapolis. Um, it was 2006. Our theme for that year was Project Superhero. You know, all of us are superheroes because we're educators type of thing. And we had gotten a grant to take. We actually got uh, an Intel School of Distinction grant. But the grant could be used for anything. So... Uh, we used it <laughs> to go to the National Renaissance Conference in, in Minneapolis. So we were able to take, uh, you know, about 12 of us, 12 people that worked in the school. Um, uh, some students went with their parents. And when we were, uh, there was a por portion of our breakout session where people were, uh, we planned it for each teacher to tell a snippet of their story and how climate and culture and Johnson's Renaissance changed the way they looked at their, their job, their vocation, their epic, their school. And there were some powerful stories of people that had been teaching for 25 years that never felt appreciated, you know, people that were ready to retire, people that were never thanked. And, you know, all the way up to first and second year teachers who that's all they knew. All they knew was positive climate and culture. So they, all they had to compare it with was themselves when they attended school or schools they visited to do their uh, preparation for uh, becoming a teacher, and these other teachers' stories. So these stories needed to be told. And uh, on the plane ride home, I started writing them down, writing all these stories down and how they fit and come up with 50 things that don't have to be done in a row. For instance, you don't have to do, number one, raise the bar is important, but so is number two set goals. Maybe number two should be first. So we're not doing them in order. And you could do number uh, 10, have fun. I mean, that's, that's, you could do uh, number 50, let's get fired up. Or, or uh, you know, number 48, respect. But they don't have to be in order. And you, but if you pick five of these things, see, you put them all in a jar. And I, I, have a, I have a jar here. You're not going to be able to see it on the radio. But I have this mason jar that I take with me sometimes. It has all 50 things in it. And sometimes I'll just be, I'll feel like, all right, let's pull one of the 50 things out and see if can this be done independently? Will it make you a better person and a better leader? And, you know, if it doesn't, then I'll burn it and I'll put a different one in there. But that was that's how it came about from listening to other people. Um, 
I wanted to get the stories out there. I wanted to have independent things that didn't need to be all done in a row. That's why there are so many of them. And we as educators need to keep telling our stories because if we don't, then those stories won't, won't, won't be out there. So this um, new version, it took about a year uh, because I wanted to get, uh, you know, input for, from people like uh, Justin's, you know, and to see if it fit um, not only what I was trying to get out there, but what they, what, but, but what they were trying to get out there as well. You know, so that's, uh, it's, it's a compilation of stories, theories, uh, research, and common sense. I mean, sometimes we don't even re realize we're doing research. So I started documenting the essential qualities of a leader. You know, what? not only what, what school-age kids thought like, between the ages of 10 and 21, but what adults thought. And, you know, in the beginning, it was, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen any, any of these beach balls I take with me. And I, have the I pass it around and have the kids write down an essential quality of a leader. And then I document it. It's, it's, it's just that simple. You know, sometimes it's, it is so simple, but we make it too hard. I do the same thing with uh, adults. And then, you know, I, I've read some contemporary literature over the year where I really firmly believe that unconditional love is a lot like unconditional leadership. So then I started getting two beach balls. And all right, everybody on this side, write down one word that connects to unconditional leadership. Everybody on this side, one word that connects, that, that's your power word for leadership. And then, boom, at the end, when I'm done talking, we look at them and there's like 90% crossover. As far as if, if we Venn diagram this, <laughs> it, you're going to have leadership and love coming close together. And I think that's an essential component of servant leadership that's not talked about or that's missing. If you, if you think or, or you know that your teacher loves you, Boom, you'll make inroads. You'll do anything for that teacher, for that person. And the same thing, you know, with, with the people that you meet and, and, and work with. If you take the time to just listen, <laughs> man, we, we, just don't, we just don't take the time because, because everybody's, you know, everybody's busy. You know, nobody's less or more busy than anyone else. So you have to take the time and it matters. I love it, dude. And so how can somebody pick up a copy of the book? Well, uh, Justin's, Justin's is, uh, they'll have it on their website, uh, Justin's Renaissance in, in their store. Uh, that should be coming almost immediately. Um, you can also uh, contact, uh, you know, my website. It's inspire-leadership.com. And, uh, you know, uh, contact me and, you know, I could put together with, uh, together with a book uh, before, uh, you know, if it's not on the Justin's website yet. Got it, man. So you've retired after an unbelievable career in education, but obviously just from listening to you, the passion and the energy that you have, you know, you've showed no signs of slowing down whatsoever. So what's next? Like what's next on your list of things to do? You know what? Uh, so when I slow down, just put the dirt over my face because it's, uh, I mean, you know, life is for living. And that's, uh, you know, that's, a, that, that's what I, you know, one of the messages uh, that I try to send out there, but um, I, I am uh, right now uh, just in the process because that book is so new. Um, I, I want to get the word out. I want to get the message out. I want to get other people telling their stories. You know, blog about it, email about it, thank somebody. I mean, are, is there ever anybody that you wanted to thank, and you have it? <laughs> and and yeah, probably probably a lot of people because those are those are the only people to ever get to, to ever get even with. 
you know, the people that have helped you. I mean, there's a quote, it's, it's something like, uh, it's an anonymous quote, the only people to get even with are those that have helped you. You know, so contact those people, send them a thank you note. And I remember uh, my seventh grade teacher, um, I had seen him, he, he, he's one guy that, that always made me feel important. He was my first basketball coach. Always made me feel like I could pay, play basketball a lot better than I could play, you know, but he made me, he, 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 he made me feel like, you know, I, I could get better at this sport. And, and I did, you know, but it was because he, um, because I believed what he was telling me, you know, and uh, anyway, so we had a 40 year eighth grade reunion uh, a couple years ago and he was there and I invited him to our school and we were like in full blown out, you know, renaissance mode. I invited him on a day of a pep rally. And uh, he, I wanted him to see, you know, uh, the difference that he made. So <laughs> he got to see it. And, you know, the funny thing about it is uh, his path uh, led him out of education. Uh, he became a principal and uh, I, he got burnt out. You know, there was no... Uh, no one to teach him about Johnson's Renaissance, and he got burnt out and ended up becoming uh, a prison guard. <laughs> he finished his career, you know, in a, in a prison, which, uh, you know, I'm glad my, my, my path didn't end up like that. Not that, I mean, not that that's not an admirable job. That's not what I mean, but somebody that made such a difference, maybe if other people would have told him, you know, the difference that he, he made, it would have turned out differently. For sure, man. Makes perfect sense, dude. I like it. Yeah, man. So powerful, man. Frank, man, I love you. I, uh, I think the absolute world of you. I love your, your heart and your passion. And, you know, it's one of those things I can't even imagine the impact on how many lives you've made out there. And just like, it, you know, I always say it doesn't get any more powerful than that, you know. And so thank you for everything that you've done for education, everything you're going to continue to do for education. And uh, just like I told you when I saw you here a couple of weeks ago, thank you for your friendship, man, because it means the absolute world to me. No, I appreciate you. I appreciate you too, Phil, man. Love you like a brother. And, uh, you know, same. Thanks again for those kind words. And I don't know if you email me your address, but uh, you're, you're going you're to need to do that. So, uh, you know, I could send you some stuff. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you. You guys got to get to uh, you gotta get that whole family in New Jersey, man. It's, uh, we uh, spent a couple days uh, down the Jersey Shore, South Jersey Shore, not to be confused with the North Jersey Shore. So, uh, you know, that's a whole, uh, we got to go on another taco tour. And, uh you know, finish that off too. And I got to get to Nashville. Uh, is that the closest airport to you? That's the closest one. Yes, sir. All right, man. Cause, uh, yeah, I know, uh, my, my, yeah, one of my daughters, she's a big country Western fan or whatever they call it these days. I know a lot of it's uh, like pop, but, but it, it looks like fun though. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. We need to definitely need to make it happen, man. That'd be awesome. And so thanks again, guys, you've been listening to the green room podcast series. Thanks so much for tuning in. Chase your dreams, kids. Uh -huh.